Welcome to Musing the Mysteries, a podcast by Barney Wiggett. What you'll find here are some recent musings about the God of the Bible and living in such a way as to bring Him pleasure. Happy musing. talk to you about worship, uh, worshiping Jesus, and, and why worship. Um, and this, this is certainly no exhaustive study on the topic or some big, deep theological construct. I, uh, I go and worship with a bunch of my friends on uh, Friday mornings in Golden Gate Park at the top of what they call Hippie Hill. So you can imagine, there's people hanging out all over the place on Friday mornings, and we're singing Jesus songs and, and praying and worshiping Him. And, and I do a couple of other uh, public worship experiences in the Tenderloin and other places. And I've always really liked that context of worshiping Jesus. I, I kind of, I mean, it, I overstated to say that Worshiping God in our comfy sanctuaries with, you know, in comfortable pews and the amazing worship band and the PowerPoint words up at the front and uh, temper control, temperature controlled environment. I, I can I sort of I overstated to say that it's a it's it's kind of kindergarten worship. That's that's just easy, you know. <laughs> and I, I don't mean the worship isn't supposed to be easy. It, I mean, of course. Of course, there's. It's easy to worship Jesus because he's so worthy of worship. But I think worship has another dynamic as well. Maybe not in place of, but in addition to that context of of uh, uh, the ease of worship, and 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 that's out in public, and not that we're supposed to stand in the Safeway line and. You know, pull out our guitars and and harmonicas and start worshiping, singing worship songs. But there's another dynamic when we worship in public. So anyway, uh, the the context of this particular sort of discursive talk. This is not a big organized theological talk about worship, but the context of it is uh, my friends that I worship with on Friday mornings asked me if I would kind of just talk about that. We lead a discussion about uh, why worship? Why do I worship? They asked me, why do you, Barney, why do you worship Jesus? On my way there, I stopped, uh, parked in the park, ate my lunch and thought about uh, why I worship. And I wrote three words down and then I began to, I shared them with them when we got together for worship. The words are propriety, pleasure, and power, propriety, pleasure, and power. And so I was thinking about how uh, these kind of outline my reasons for worship. The focus of my attention really is on the power part, the third part, because I think propriety and pleasure are the predominant, uh, not to use too many P words here, but are the predominant uh, factors in why Christians, I, I, I think this is true, why Christians tend to uh, worship Jesus and even and very much enjoy worshiping God. Uh, but it's this power concept that 
I haven't heard talked about in a while. So that's why I'm even making a point beyond my conversation with my friends. I wanted to share a little bit with you. So when I talk about propriety, uh, by that I mean appropriateness. It's appropriate. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer to say that it's appropriate to wor- worship God. I mean, if you're a follower of God, it, it's just obvious. This is what we do. And so I asked my friends, why is it appropriate? Why is it obvious? And of course, the two answers came up, well, because he's worthy. And then somebody else say, said, well, because he commands it. You know, it's appropriate to worship God. I mean, it's fitting, like Psalm 33, 1 says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous, because it's fitting for the upright to praise him. So why is it fitting? Well, because he's, first of all, he's worthy, right? So Psalm 48, 1 says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. And then, and then somebody else said, well, yeah, but also because he commands it. So in Psalm 29, 2 says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. I mean, there's a lot of other places, but that's all we would need. We don't need any more than to know that he's worthy and that he commands it. And so we, we worship God by ourselves and at church on Sundays and with our friends. And by the way, uh, we're not to say, I'm not trying to say that worship is uh, just musical worship, and we only worship when we're having a worship service or a worship time. I mean, worship is, it's really everything we do can, is worship to God. It brings glory to God. I'm just kind of talking about worship in its general sense. So it, 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 we worship because of propriety. And then, and then we worship because of pleasure. I was thinking, well, it's pleasurable, right? And so I asked my friend, so where does pleasure fit in? Well, somebody said, well, it brings him pleasure. It brings God pleasure. It pleases him. And then somebody else said, yeah, and, but it also pleases us. It brings us pleasure. So both of those things are true. Uh, like in Psalm 103, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me blesses holy name. You know, we bless the Lord. We it brings him pleasure when we, you know, when we praise him and when we worship him. And it's not because he's stuck in himself or he's, you know, egocentric. It pleased God to create us in such a way to find our highest pleasure in pleasing him. <laughs> so he is pleased when we are pleased to please him, if that makes any sense at all. But it's pleasurable. We worship because we enjoy worshiping God. We enjoy it. Psalm 147 says, praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to, pray, to praise him. So yeah, we, we're pleased to do it. We enjoy it. We love worshiping God. Now, I don't want to get off on this topic too much, but I think sometimes we love loving God more than loving God, and we love worshiping God more than we love God sometimes. And the worship experience is something that we tend to want to love more than the, the actual the God that we're loving on. Uh, these two things, propriety and pleasure, tend to be the things that I, I, I think are primary driving 
motivations for Christians to worship God because of propriety and pleasure. He's worthy. He commands it. He's pleased. We're pleased. But there's there's something else uh, that I would say, well, besides making him feel good and us feel good and us doing our duty, what's it for? I mean, what does it do? I mean, I think of it, I, I don't think of worship primarily in the context of utilitarianism. It's not, you know, what do we get out of it or what is what good does it do? How is it going to make a difference? But, but there is that component to worship, and I think it's taught throughout Scripture, and I think I see it in practical terms and in practical reality in our world. So, I would add to propriety and pleasure power, the power of God, that something happens when we engage in the propriety of worship and the pleasure of worship. Something happens. Is is it possible that there are two eternal activities, you know, for us? Uh, Worshiping and reigning. Worshiping and reigning. And if you read Revelation, you see a lot of both of those. Those two themes kind of uh, fill the last book of the Bible that kind of depict the eternal state. A lot of worship is going on in in heaven and in the eternal state, and a lot of reigning is going on where people are ruling and reigning with him. There's this eternal... Uh, position that we have. Right now, we're seated in the heavenlies in Jesus Christ, and Romans 5.17 says that we're learning to reign in life by one man, Jesus Christ. But there's another dynamic or another uh, level of reigning uh, with Jesus, but worshiping and reigning. And so, worship kind of leads to reigning as I, as I see it. In other words, when we worship Him on His throne— he shares some of that throne with us. So in this not eternal state, as we're kind of engaged, we're tasting the powers of the age to come, we're experiencing some of that and reigning with Christ and, you know, seated with him in, in the heavenlies. We're engaging in those two activities now on some level, and one leads to the other. This worship leads kind of to reigning. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus was teaching us the kind of the primary components to prayer, starts out with worship, right? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So there's this, we we begin by ascribing to the Lord, the glory to his name. And and we're, we're saying that he's on his throne, that he's in heaven on his throne. And then and then the next thing that he, Jesus tells us to pray is, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's worshiping that leads to reigning. There's this connection sort of between these two things. And I think when we praise, when we worship God, you know, not go through the motions of singing songs and saying prayers and just uh, some sort of ritualistic, formulaic approach to worship. But I mean, when we're really engaged with God, we're aligning ourselves with the throne of God, with the rulership of God, with the kingdom of God, the ruling activity of God. You know, <clears throat> Psalm 22.3 says, 
you are enthroned on the praises of your people. Um, and so it's, it's like, you know, God is always on his throne. It's not like we give him his throne. But when we worship him, the window sort of between us on earth and him in heaven sort of opens and we're benefited by his reigning activity, you know, in heaven. And it comes to earth. There's some, you know, not to make this magical or, or uh, you know, science fiction in any way, but it's kind of like a portal. I'll use the word portal, but it's, you know, I'm just borrowing the term from science fiction, but kind of a portal that opens up between heaven and earth when we praise him. And I shared this passage in when we were talking out in the park the other day, Matthew uh, 16, 19, where, you know, he had asked the disciples, who do men say that I am? And, and, you know, Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he says, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right. You remember that. So, uh, the gates of hell are probably the ruling councils of hell. The, the things that the devil and his minions want to do in the earth to steal, kill, and destroy. Those things can be confronted and are confronted uh, by a church properly aligned with, with heaven. And he says to the disciples at that point, he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. These are profound words, of course. But just to say, these keys that Jesus speaks of lock up some things and unlock some other things. And so there are some things that should be locked up, like the devil and his minions, like hell, like uh, like evil should be restricted, should be locked up, should be incarcerated. And he's saying, I'm giving the church some capacity for that incarceration. And then there are some things, of course, that should be unlocked, that should be released. And of course, that's the kingdom of God. You know, when I talk about the kingdom of God, Paul said, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So uh, that's how I kind of summarize the activity of the king. When you know that the king is, is near and when his kingdom is being expressed, you see righteousness, you see peace, and you see joy as the Holy Spirit is empowering those things. So Jesus says, I give you keys to unlock that kind of heaven, that kind of kingdom on earth. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those things are happening in heaven, righteousness, peace, and joy. And Jesus is saying, I am giving you the capability of bringing some of that life to, to earth so that we can actually join, you know, in what's happening in heaven. And he's, he's saying, I'm, gonna get, I'm, I'm giving you a conduit for the king to reign and the capability of releasing the power of that kingdom in your life situations. And I'm not saying that worship is the only key to that because frankly, Jesus didn't distinguish what those keys were. He didn't list them. And I think that's, be- he doesn't say what they are. And I think that's because uh, 
it's really everything we do, right? It's the way we worship. It's the way we pray. It's the way we share Christ with people. It's the way we love each other. It's the way that we love the world. It's the way that we treat our families. It's the way we think. I mean, everything that we do as followers of Jesus has the capability of locking and un, un, you know locking up hell and unlocking heaven. But certainly worship is one of those clear, it's, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I have a keychain and I have a couple of keys that have those little plastic, you know, covers on them. The, the keys that I use the most, <laughs> uh, my, my door key and my, you know, key to my bike. And so I, I, I can... I, I can find those easily. And I think worship is one of those with those little plastic key covers, you know, to so that you use it not only the most, but it's it's it tends to have the most direct relationship to unlocking heaven to bring it to earth. You know, I shared with these my friends the other day about Acts 13. It says that uh, while they were worshiping, and fasting, the Holy Spirit said unto them, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work whereunto I've called them. And so while they were fasting and worshiping, and, and that's just a good illustration of the kinds of things that happen when we worship. Have you noticed that when you worship God, your connection with the Holy Spirit seems to sort of, I don't know, increase or clarify, and the Holy Spirit tends to show you stuff. And that's why I think when we talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, faith, healing, miracles, tongues, interpretation, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, those things are uh, kind of activated when we worship because we're because of that portal thing that I was just talking about and the connection that we open or that is open God opens between heaven and earth and it produces an interaction you know among us between heaven and earth I was thinking about a couple of places in the Old Testament when they had built the tabernacle and then when they had built the temple uh, for Worship and God's, they, God called those places, tabernacle and temple, his house, a house in which I dwell. He, of course, that's metaphorical language, but he's saying that's where I, I, I live, that's where I reveal myself. And do you remember before they were able to proceed? engaging in the sacrificial system in, in that he prescribed. You remember what happened? The glory came, the glory of God, God's manifest presence, Chabad, came, the weight of God, this substance of God came in such a way, in such a concentration that they weren't capable of, of proceeding with their priestly duties. I was thinking about that, and maybe I could use a, another metaphor, kind of like a God has this delivery, has many deliveries that he wants to make onto earth, right? So he's like this enormous cargo plane full of deliveries, you know, healing and salvation or reconciliation and uh, world peace or whatever it is, and he wants to make these deliveries, but he's looking for runways that are lit up uh, for him to land on. He's looking for people and groups of people 
on which to land and make his deliveries to to create you know more of a heaven on earth uh, and by the way when i talk about heaven on earth i'm not talking about any millennial view or post millennial view i I'm leaving eschatology alone right now. I'm just talking about our responsibility to look up into heaven, see what's happening there, and bring at least some of it here until it finally all arrives in the coming of in the coming of the Lord. But but so he's looking for lit up runways, and I think worship kind of does that when we engage with God from the depths of our spirit, not just in a formulaic way. Uh, but when we engage with him in worship and give him the honor that he's due, it's as though the, the, the runway lights come on and he's capable of making deliveries. Now, when I talked about the locking up of hellish purposes, there is a spiritual warfare or a spiritual power that's exuded uh, from our from worship, right? Because, I mean, Jesus said, I'm going to give you keys that bind on earth what is bound in heaven and loose on earth what is loosed in heaven. And in Psalm 8, 2, uh, the psalmist says, through the praise of your of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe in the avenger. And I think he's using poetic terminology to describe how worship of God not in a formulaic way, but it's coming from the depths of our soul and making a genuine connection with God actually impacts the, the powers of darkness. You know, Paul said, I mean, he said it clearly, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, the rulers of the, of the darkness of this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. So he's saying that we have an, there's an there's a warfare going on here. There's a battle going on. We live in a battle zone. And one of the things that combats hell's purposes in the world that we live in is how, when we connect with God in worship. You know, this is one of the reasons I love worshiping outdoors and worshiping with... Uh, with people in public outside of our sanctuaries, because what happens for me is, well, first of all, I think it does change the the atmosphere of a of a place. And I've uh, engaged in this kind of worship over the years, uh, many, 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 many times, and I've seen this happen where the atmosphere begins to change around me, the spiritual atmosphere, but also. I you you see I get a revelation. It seems like there's a picture in my mind of the lines clearly drawn between spiritual things, let's say, between the powers of darkness and the power of God, between uh, the reality of heaven and the the facade of just this physical world. And um, because you're not just sequestered aside in a uh, among a bunch of happy Christians, but you're seeing it, you know, stuff go on by you. You know, one of the places that I go to worship uh, once in a while is I'll take my guitar and sing worship songs in this on this street corner by uh, the, the BART station here in San Francisco. 
And I'll have people sitting next to me smoking dope and hammered on alcohol. And and sometimes I'll have people cuss me out or whatever. And and it's probably because of the bad singing. But, but the reality is uh, you'll see... So I guess what I'm suggesting is that you find maybe somebody, a group of people that are doing uh, worship experiences uh, out in public and uh, and join them one time. You can even, you don't have to, it's, it's kind of like, think of it as Christmas caroling. You've Everybody's been Christmas caroling, right? And so you're not embarrassed to do that. Well, maybe go with a group of people that are worshiping in a park and see if you don't get a clearer picture of reality and what's really going on when you worship God. Worship is not just because it's it has propriety in it. It's appropriate because he's worthy and he commands it, which is which would be all we would need to worship God. If nothing else happened, it never benefited us. Uh, we never were pleased in it. And uh, there was never any power that exuded from it. That would be enough. He's worthy and he commands it. But the power of God that's expressed when we align ourselves with heaven is something that I'm not seeing so emphasized in worship today. And and I can tell that not only because it's not taught on so much or because the, the, the worship songs aren't, uh, you know, don't express that... Uh, that same value as much, but I'm noticing uh, this uh, this phrase <laughs> that I told my friends the other day. It's one of my no. It, I was going to say it's my least favorite Christian phrase. It's not. It's my most hated <laughs> Christian phrase. I mean, I said to them that it makes me want to take a hostage when I hear somebody use the phrase "good worship." Oh my gosh, I've I've written a couple of. Uh, blogs on that. Uh, so if you want to look in musingthemysteries.wordpress.com by the title, Good Worship, you'll, you'll know what I mean by that. But it seems to me that many in the church are involved in worship primarily because of the groovy music and the nice emotional feelings they have when standing next to other people harmonizing in these songs and think of that as the what worship is all about and certainly there's a component to all of that i'm not advocating for bad music and and uncomfortable sanctuaries i i'm i'm just saying that there's something much deeper that's just the kind of the surface level of what goes on when we worship god together I'd like to propose that there's this other important dynamic that's expressed when we worship God. And I believe that we would see not only changes in our own person, changes in our church community, but then also changes in our community, in the uh, not yet Christian community around us. If we would find ourselves engaged in dynamic connection with God in worship. So may I suggest to you that you take this, these, you know, kind of rambling thoughts of mine, pray about your own 
experience of worshiping God, do some study in scripture uh, on the topic and begin to make a decision to live the life of not just a person who worships, but a worshiping person. And especially when you're gathered with other believers, engage in a deeper form, a deeper reality of connection with God and see if things don't begin to change for you. Let's go.